Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we get an update on the preparations for the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations, which Cameroon will be hosting in just three months from now. We have a special report from Yaoundé, as there are still concerns about how ready the stadiums are. All the stadiums are not uh, ready. We are in Olembe. We can play, but uh, it is not finished. And also we hear from African legends El Haji Juf and Didier Drogba on the preparations. I think the continent is going to have a great time and Cameroon is going to be the place where everything happens, where football will be at its best. That's coming up soon. Also we talk about Mohamed Salah's superb goal for Liverpool against Manchester City and plans that the English FA have to recruit and fast-track former players to become referees. But let's start with the qualifiers for the 2022 FIFA World Cup with two rounds of games in the space of seven days. The upcoming matches see teams playing each other twice, home and away. Remember, only the winners of the groups will qualify for the final playoff round. A big shock in Group D with Nigeria losing 1-0 to the Central African Republic in Lagos. A 90th minute goal of the Super Eagles with the likes of Kelechi Iheanacho and Victor Osimhen starting for them. They'll meet again on Sunday with the Central African Republic having to play their home game in Cameroon. Also in the group, Liberia lost 2-1 at home to Cape Verde. Liberia playing their home game in Ghana. Nigeria topping the group on six points. Cape Verde and the CAR on four and Liberia on three. Uh, Morocco will be playing three games. They beat Guinea-Bissau 5-0 on Wednesday. Paris Saint-Germain right back Atraf Hakimi among the scorers. Uh, Guinea-Bissau the home team, but the match was played in Morocco as they're one of several countries that don't have an approved stadium to host games. They'll meet again next Tuesday. Morocco playing five of their six group games at home, with Guinea also playing their home games away from home in that group. Group E is very tight. Uganda getting their first win of the campaign, 1-0 away to Rwanda. And DR Congo's campaign is back on track in Group J, a 2-0 victory over Madagascar on Thursday, giving them their first win in the group. But it's Benin who are on top after a 1-0 win away to Tanzania, Steve Mounier scoring. Benin, seven points on top, uh, DRC second on five points. Much more on the World Cup qualifiers here on Planet Sport Football Africa next week. In other stories, in the women's game, Nigeria forward Assisat Oshwala had a goal and an assist for Barcelona in a 4-1 win over Arsenal in their Women's Champions League Group C opener. Assisat was up against her former club, who were beaten for the first time since February. Assisat is a four-time African Women's Footballer of the Year. A right to the Africa Cup of Nations and it's just three months now to the start of the 2021 Nations Cup in Cameroon, the tournament taking place in 2022 from the 9th of January to the 6th of February. With a special report and update from Yaoundé, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ngie Eno. Less than three months to the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations, the effervescence that surrounds such a football event is gaining steam in the country. The continent's second 24-team Afghan will be played across six cities, but it's in Cameroon's political capital, Yaoundé, that the imminence of the bonanza is being felt. 
This most especially after the president of the Confederation of African Football, CAF, Dr. Patrice Motsepe, sojourned in the country for two days. It was the second time within two months that the CAF Supremo was heading to Cameroon to get updates on the preparations for the tournament. A build-up to the competition deemed satisfactory by the South African football official who hopes that the tournament in Cameroon will usher in good tidings for the continent. We are confident that together uh, we will host uh, an event that will make us proud. And the quality of football that will be displayed here will show that we can produce players in Africa that can win the highest awards competitions in Africa, but also that can win the World Cup because that's part of our ambition. Cameroon has the quality and uh, there are other African countries and we support them. But while efforts are ensuring that the Bonanza is a smooth one have been impressive, there are still several worries. The Olembe Stadium, a 60,000-seat facility that will host the opening fixture and final of next year's tournament, is nearing completion. While the stadium received its first game on September 3 as host Cameroon of Apart Malawi 2-0, the absence of fans has once again triggered fears over whether the infrastructure will be in top form for the Afghan. Initially expected to be completed by November 2018 for the 2019 AFCON, the state of the stadium is leaving fans worried. All the stadiums are not uh, ready. We are in Olembe. We can play, but uh, it is not finished. So uh, we have to accelerate to have uh, Olembe Stadium ready uh, at the end of uh, November. There are fans in Europe now. European football is going on. Every stadium is packed full. How can we be opening a new stadium and there is nobody inside? My problem now is with the, the management of the stadium. If um, proper care will be taken... As football supporters rack their brains over the stadium, diehards of the Indomitable Lions wonder if the side's quest for a Sith Afghan medal can ever come to fruition. A 2-1 loss to Côte d'Ivoire in the 2022 World Cup qualifier in Abidjan has ushered in doubts over the side's potential. I think there's still a lot to be done. We saw a lot of lapses, especially in the game against Ivory Coast. It's true the pitch was poor, but we will have produced a scintillating performance there Ivory Coast to take the position in Group F. And definitely we're hoping that when the AFCON begins, we're able to brave the odds and retain the trophy on home soil. I would first of all like to advise the coach to have a team. He needs to get a constant team. He keeps on bringing in new faces every day, every day. It goes a long way to affect the output of that team. I think the goalkeeping debate should, uh, first of all, be settled uh, because we didn't see a very dominant, confident, commanding goalkeeper. I think we have to be able to work in all compartments. The 2021 AFCON will be the second time that Cameroon is receiving the Jamboree in close to 50 years after the 1972 edition. Within Africa's footballing royalty, there's a perception that the country's rich footballing history, blended with its passionate fans, are foretelling of a wonderful event in January and February 2022. Two-time African Player of the Year, Senegal's El Hajj Diouf, and Côte d'Ivoire's Didier Drogba, who also won the prestigious title twice, believe Cameroon can live up to expectations.
I'm so happy to be in Cameroon, to be part of this African Nation Cup in Cameroon. One of the best country of football in the world. I'm not talking about in Africa, in the world. If you're talking about uh, Cameroonian supporters, they're great. Footballers, wonderful. And now the pitch, they're unbelievable. Like what they say, I have to talk to the supporters to come in like a lot at the stadium to make this game to be beautiful. I think the continent is going to have a great time. And Cameroon is going to be the place where everything happens, where football will be at its best. You look at the stadium, the quality of the stadiums, and uh, the way people are welcoming us here is, is amazing. Uh, we have a lot of friends here, so we can't wait for it to start. The president of the Confederation of African Football, Dr. Patrice Motsepe, is expected to return to Cameroon in November for a final visit to X-ray the country's preparations ahead of the AFCON. Well, it's getting closer. That special report from Planet Sport Football Africa's and Eno in Yaoundé. So the excitement is growing there in Cameroon, despite concerns about how the Cameroon team will perform after losing that World Cup qualifier to Ivory Coast. Uh, lots of talking points there, Ida. Uh, no fans allowed at the Olembe Stadium as it wasn't ready, and concerns about other stadiums too. Right, Steve. Look, I personally think that these are you know, dare I say, normal things, you know, at least when it comes to the hosting of large tournaments and especially in developing countries, you know. I mean, these were similar issues in Brazil even before hosting of the 2014 World Cup. But with that said, I'm not trying to excuse any lackluster preparations if indeed there are. And Steve, you've mentioned the Olembe Stadium. Well, that's set to be the site of the opening and closing ceremonies, so quite important. Though, in the case that it won't be ready by then, reports have said that the Stad Omnisport de Bepanda, wow, quite a mouthful there, in Douala, (laughs) might be the backup plan, so we'll see about that. Now, it will be Dr. Patrice Motsepe's first Afghan as CAF president. And, you know, despite divided opinion, you know, on whether this tournament really ranks up high on CAF's priority list going forward. Well, you know, I would like to imagine, many would like to imagine that he will still want to check this off successfully. Now, with the hosting of large tournaments comes different opinions, Steve, on what the tournament exactly means to a country. You know, there are those, especially in the hospitality industry, let's say, who are looking forward to what it will mean to their pockets, you know, and especially during these COVID times. But there are those who say that the impact on the economy, you know, despite being a politically significant event, you know, won't be big enough to upset the huge international loans that are taken oftentimes by developing countries to build some of these infrastructure, you know, the 60,000 seater stadiums and whatnot. And of course, speaking of infrastructure, it's important to look ahead, you know, and talk longevity and prioritize maintenance of these stadiums, Steve, even after the nation's cup, you know, to avoid a situation of expensive stadiums just lying dormant, as we've seen in the past. Yeah, that's been a big issue in African sport for many, many years. And um, other issues, too, for the 2021 Nations Cup, Ida. Well, it would be remiss not to mention the insecurity issue with violence in the West. 
and uh, especially the north and southwest due to the anglophone crisis, Steve, and the Boko Haram insurgency in the north as well. But look, the government has given a good account of itself, so far at least, on security, with uh, the tournaments held there within that period. So, you know, fingers crossed that this will go well as well. Another interesting point, Steve, is uh, one of connectivity. Now, it remains an issue, honestly, for majority of Cameroonians, with only 33.5% of the population actually having internet access. This was by 2019. Now, this was as per the World Bank. And look, with media, global media, descending on Cameroon in the next few months, this will surely need to be improved. Well, recent figures uh, corroborated by the government as well put Cameroon's budget for the Afghan at around $23 million. Now, that's a relative amount, definitely compared to, you know, what other countries spend on big football tournaments, I'm sure. But it's still massive for the West African nation. Now, I wasn't there at the Chan in early 2021, but many who attended did give a reasonably decent account of the organization, you know, save for small glitches here and there, you know, which are normal everywhere. So let's wait and see. Yeah, indeed. And uh, with these World Cup qualifiers being played now and the final two rounds of games on next month, uh, this could maybe see the teams looking really sharp for the Nations Cup. Well, I'm certainly hoping that that will be the case, Steve, you know, with much more game time, then these teams will have time to gel and uh, will hopefully arrive at the Afghan as a unit. But it does have to be said on the flip side. And of course, look, we hope that this won't be the case, but it could be that the players might also be coming into this a bit fatigued, Steve. Look, I personally, for one, don't think that player welfare in particular is a priority, at least with uh, what they're calling the quote-unquote football of tomorrow, you know, all this increased number of matches, you know, the travel and the training fatigue. But Steve, look, who knows, it might just have the opposite effect. Yeah, sure. It's getting closer. Thanks a lot, uh, Ida. Just uh, three months to go now to the Africa Cup of Nations. We'll keep on building up to the tournament here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League as Watford became the first club to fire their manager this season. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv and in the blog section there, Planet Sport Football Africa's Russ Bravo looks at the return of fans to the stadiums in the English Premier League and how the encouragement makes such a difference for the fans. Also how encouragement helps in matters of faith. The blog is called Why the Fans Matter So Much. Uh, To read it, go to our website, planetsport.tv. Click on the blog section at the top on the right. Or to social media now. Last week on the show we asked, what do you think about coaches returning for a second spell? As Milovan Rajevac is back as the coach of the Ghana national team. Uh, he's from Serbia. He took the Black Stars to the quarterfinals of the 2010 World Cup. So we asked, what do you think about coaches returning for a second spell? Is it a positive thing and does it bring success? Well, in Ghana, Sulan Amiru says, uh, yes, it's okay. And I think it's important too that the coach should be allowed to select his own players. Uh, this 
this after a feeling that some of the players in the Ghana squad for the games against Zimbabwe were forced upon the coach Milovan Rajavats. In the Gambia, Mbele says yes, it's a great development when a coach comes back and a positive one for that matter. And uh, on another issue on the French League One, uh, Major Mamadou Jallo in the Gambia, full of praise for Idrissa Gay, uh, saying he played so well against Montpellier in their league game. And also, yes, he was outstanding in PSG's Champions League win over Manchester City. So a uh, good season so far for the Senegalese Idrissa Gay at uh, PSG. And on Facebook, Vin Asher Deepakamwa uh, says congrats to Nigeria forward Assisad Oshwala after that goal and assist for Barcelona in that 4-1 win over over Arsenal that I talked about earlier in their Women's Champions League Group C opener. Now, this week on social media, we're asking, is Mohamed Salah the best player in the world right now? Uh, the former Blackburn Rover striker Chris Sutton has told BBC Sport that he thinks that Liverpool forward Salah is the best player right now in the world. So do you agree? Uh, no doubt Salah scored one of the best goals ever in the English Premier League last weekend, uh, that goal against Manchester City, and more on that shortly. But uh, is he better than Messi and Ronaldo and everyone else right now? Uh, give us your thoughts. You can go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine a double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is Mohamed Salah the best player in the world right now? What do you think? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, to the English Premier League now, and no games this weekend as it's an international break. Chelsea on top, 16 points. Liverpool have 15. Manchester City, Manchester United, Everton and Brighton all on 14 as the race is looking fascinating. I'm joined by our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. Let's go back to last Sunday, Stuart. Uh, perhaps the best game of the season so far with Liverpool drawing 2-2 with Manchester City and a truly superb goal from Mohamed Salah. Steve, it seems silly in October to talk about Premier League deciders, but Liverpool-Manchester City made a good case for being a game between the two best teams in the Premier League. Liverpool led twice but Manchester City twice equalised. Arguably, the two best players on the pitch were Joel Matip and Mo Salah. Matip from Cameroon was a rock in the Liverpool defence, while Salah created the first goal for fellow African side Zumani and scored the second. Now, that first goal, Salah got the ball perhaps 10 metres inside his own half, ran 50 metres, delivered an inch-perfect pass into space for Manny, whose clever run had lost his marker to run onto. Goal. Then Salah scored what will rank as one of the greatest Premier League goals ever. He must have beaten at least 17 defenders, or that's what it seemed like, finding space in a crowded penalty area, with the ball seemingly tied to his foot, then scoring from the narrowest of angles. Now, the Manchester City lineup was another good illustration of how hard it is to get into the first team of a big club. Phil Foden was outstanding for City, scoring the first goal, but with Raheem Sterling and the Algerian Riyad Mahrez on the bench, I think Foden has no guarantee of being in the starting line uh, next game. You know, Steve, Manchester City have had 14 different goal scorers this season. And they, they don't play with an out-and-out -out striker. I mean, no one likes Salah or Lukaku. Now, 
Pep Guardiola was asked about having 14 different goal scorers and he, he answered in a really quite an interesting way. He said, well, we have to do it that way because we don't have a striker who smells when the ball is in the box. We don't have the kind of player who's in there always to score the goals. We have to do it differently and everyone in the team is responsible for scoring goals. But, you know, I do wonder if Manchester City will try again in the January window to get Harry Kane. You know, uh, last weekend, legendary Premier League striker Alan Shearer said that he thought a world-class striker would score 40 goals for Manchester City in the league alone because City have so much possession and they put the ball in the penalty area so many times. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Guardiola does in January. Will he try to get Kane or even Erling Haaland? Or what about Kylian Mbappe, who's likely to leave PSG at some point? Chelsea went top of the Premier League, beating Southampton 3-1. But only with two goals in the last ten minutes, after Southampton had been reduced to ten men, when James Ward-Prowse was perhaps harshly sent off. Manchester United blew their chance to go top, drawing at home to Everton, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer getting a lot of criticism for leaving out Ronaldo, Paul Pogba and Jadon Sancho, all on the bench. United also have not kept a clean sheet in the league since last March. And now Brighton outplayed Arsenal in a nil-nil draw when one goal would have put them second in the table. Brighton are another of the teams that really are, are fascinating how well they're playing. And we talked last week about Brentford and they go marching on. Three wins and three draws from seven games and they're seventh in the league table. In fact, Steve, having beaten Arsenal in the first day of the season and then won at West Ham, they look as if they're bidding to be the top London club. But what really impressed me about their victory was that their winning goal came from a free kick four minutes into stoppage time. Now think about it, a newly promoted team playing away to West Ham, drawing with just a minute or two left. They could easily have shut down shop and concentrated on holding what they had, but not Brentford. When they took the free kick, they had eight players in the West Ham penalty area and the goal was scored by Ayon Vissa from DR Congo. Now, he has yet to start a Premier League game, but has already scored two league goals as well as three in the League Cup. And he wasn't the only African goal scorer because Kelechi Ihenacho from Nigeria gave Leicester City the lead against Crystal Palace. But then Geoffrey Schlupp scored a late equaliser 45 seconds after he came on as a substitute to preserve Palace's unbeaten home record under Patrick Vieira. And don't forget that the Ghanaian Sloop used to play for Leicester. Yeah, indeed. So a uh, good weekend it was for uh, African players last weekend. Uh, and Stuart, we had the first managerial casualty of the season after just seven games. And uh, no surprise that it's happened at Watford. Yes, indeed. Claudio Ranieri has been appointed manager of Watford. Now, Watford were promoted from the Championship last season and they're currently 15th with two wins and a draw and four defeats. I think many people would believe that that's quite a satisfactory start for a team just promoted to the Premier League, but then not the view of Italian owner Gino Pozzo. In the nine years that Pozzo has been the club owner, Ranieri is incredibly the 16th person to be manager of the club. Yes, I said 16 managers in nine years. Zisco Munoz, 
was appointed in December 2020. He got the team promoted and he was fired in October 2021, seven games into the season. And he is the ninth manager to be fired, having been in post for less than a year. The club statement said, the club is going backwards and we needed a change. Well, I don't know what you think, but I don't think getting promoted into the Premier League and winning two of your first seven games is really going backwards. Now, the new manager is well known. Claudio Rineri was an Italian defender playing over 300 games in Serie A. He's a well-travelled manager, having been in charge of 16 top clubs in Europe, in Italy, in Spain, in France and England, as well as the Greek national side. He was the Chelsea manager for four years and spent one year at Fulham, but of course his greatest success came at Leicester City. Appointed in July 2015, he took Leicester City to a totally unexpected Premier League title in his first season. But when Leicester struggled the following season, Ranieri was fired in February 2017. At Chelsea, he acquired the nickname of the Tinkerman, because it was said that he never picked the same team in successive weeks. Whether Ranieri, who is two weeks short of his 70th birthday, can keep Watford in the Premier League remains to be seen. The Watford squad is undoubtedly one of the weakest in the Premier League, having been relegated in 2020 and promoted again in 2021. They were always going to be one of the favourites for relegation, whoever was in charge. Steve, I also would have to say that Gino Pozzo, for me, represents the worst in foreign owners of Premier League clubs. To dismiss 15 managers in nine seasons seems totally ridiculous. It's absolutely incredible. Um, Ranieri uh, certainly with a big task there uh, with uh, Watford. And Stuart, interesting plans uh, there in England to recruit ex-players as referees. You know, Steve, in cricket, most umpires are former professional players. But in English football, only one professional player has gone on to be a referee in the past 30 years. And this, as you say, might be about to change. The problem has tended to be that it takes about 10 years to progress from refereeing local amateur games to qualifying to referee at the elite level. With referees generally having to stop officiating between 45 and 50, that means that a 30-year-old player who took 10 years to qualify would only have 5 to 10 years at the top level. But in a new development, the Professional Footballers Association, the English FA, and the professional game match officials, the body which runs elite refereeing, is holding a residential course for former players later this month. The idea is that new referees would be monitored and those who show progress uh, and promise uh, would be fast-tracked. Now, while I can't see Harry Kane or Mo Salah hanging up their boots to become a referee, I think it could be really attractive to players who played in the Championship, League One, League Two, and have not become multimillionaires and who want to stay in the game. Also, one of the biggest criticisms of referees is that they know the laws of the game, but they don't really know the game. And the way the system operates in England, most referees opt at a very early stage of their lives to be referees, so therefore they don't play the game a lot. And the argument is that unless you have played football, you are less likely to be able to distinguish in an instant a mistimed tackle from a deliberate attempt to kick an opponent. I think too that players might well respect more a referee who's played the game than one who hasn't. 
It remains to be seen how many ex-players will be interested in becoming referees and indeed how many will have what it takes. But I think that this is a really good move. I welcome it and I think it could improve the standard of refereeing. Well, fascinating that uh, moves to encourage uh, players to take up a refereeing uh, when they retire in England. Thanks a lot, Stuart. And in other English Premier League news, in Newcastle, now the richest team in the Premier League, indeed in the whole world, after a takeover by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, who've bought the club for $408 million, and the company themselves worth a staggering $435 billion, dwarfing all of the other clubs in world football. So Newcastle now by far have the wealthiest owners in the world. We'll talk more about that uh, on the show next week. Elsewhere, Ivory Coast right-back Serge Aurier has left Tottenham. He's joined the Europa League champions Villarreal in Spain, moving as a free agent on a year-long contract. And for Liverpool fans, Naby Keita's great volley against Crystal Palace has won Liverpool's Goal of the Month award for September. Uh, I'm sure that uh, for October there's not much doubt about it. That must be Mohamed Salah's uh, brilliant goal against Manchester City. And just a reminder of our question this week on social media, is Mohamed Salah the best player in the world right now. Uh, what do you think? Uh, the former Blackburn Rovers striker Chris Sutton has told the BBC he thinks that Salah is indeed the best player in the world right now. So do you agree? Is he better than the likes of Messi, Ronaldo and everyone else right now? Is Salah the best player in the world at the moment? You can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven Seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So, from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.